Welcome to the Modern Slavery Pack podcast. I am Jakub Sobik, I'm a communications director at the center. The Modern Slavery Pack was created to enhance understanding of modern slavery and transform the effectiveness of laws and policies designed to address it. We are funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council on behalf of UK Research and Innovation. The lack of diversity and inclusion is one of central issues that has hindered modern slavery research. Simply speaking, how can we fully understand the issue of modern slavery if people who it really affects aren't truly a part of it? We know the lack of diversity limits innovation and progress on understanding the issue of modern slavery and ultimately limits the relevance and impact of research. So, including a wide and diverse range of people in research, and particularly those with lived experience, is not only the right thing to do. It's also essential for improving policies and laws addressing modern slavery, which is why we are here in the first place. This is why we recently published our Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Strategy and Action Plan. In this strategy, we set out what we're planning to do to make sure that people with different experiences, backgrounds and expertise have fair and equal access to opportunities that our centre provides. We're going to discuss that strategy in the second part of this podcast with my colleague from the Modern Slavery Pack, Nikki Kalavidis. In the first part, however, we have a special guest, Debbie Arillo from Afruca, whose work on improving diversity of the modern slavery sector has led to founding BASNET, the UK BME anti-slavery network. We'll talk about how equal, diverse and inclusive we really are as a group of people working to address modern slavery. I hope you enjoy both conversations. Our first guest today is Debbie Arillo, a founder and chief executive of Afruca Safeguarding Children and a founder and chair of the UK BME Anti-Slavery Network, or BUSNET for short. She's a specialist in forced migration and human trafficking and has vast experience in designing and implementing diaspora anti-trafficking programs and services for people who experience modern slavery and trafficking. She has served in many advisory and non-executive roles, including as a trustee of the Africa-Europe Diaspora Development Platform, an advisory board member of the Journal of Modern Slavery, and, closer to home, a member of the advisory group for the Modern Slavery Pack. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Debbie, you are CEO of Afruca, an organization to address child safeguarding and child trafficking issues in African diaspora communities. But two years ago, you founded BASNET. Can you tell us what BASNET is and how you founded it and why you founded it? Okay. Well, thank you for having me on this um, podcast. Um, so in 2020, we had uh, Black Lives Matter. And prior to Black Lives Matter, I had been thinking a lot anyway about how since I started Africa in 2001, I just realized that very few um, black and ethnic minority charities or community uh, organizations are involved uh, at the policy level or in a, in a kind of like a visible way in the fight against modern slavery and human trafficking in this country. And also the survivors' voices are quite muted in the fight against modern slavery and human trafficking. And so I really felt that maybe this was about time for us to start to highlight some of those key issues that makes the, our sector very unrepresentative of the people that we're working for, uh, that makes the sector very 
on diverse and that makes the sector very unequal, right, in terms of representation and all of that. So I decided to establish PassNet. It was meant to be a small network so we could use that as an opportunity to help raise the profile of other people that I knew were doing things on the ground, but without that visibility, without the voice. But then, of course, in 2020, Black Lives Matter happened, and that really helped propel BassNet beyond what I actually expected it to be, i.e. as a voice, um, a leading voice, if not the leading voice, on equality, diversity, and inclusion in the modern slavery sector. So in a nutshell, that is the, the background. Yeah, no, the, the BASNET is, is like a, a, a massive feature of the uh, modern slavery sector at the moment. And uh, you published an action plan to address the race equalities in modern slavery and human trafficking sector. Uh, I think that was last year. Um, if you can maybe talk us through the main points of the plan uh, and uh, what the kind of uh, main recommendations are uh, okay. for the sector. Excellent. Thank you. So, well, um, so yeah, I mean, we published an action plan to tackle race equality, diversity and inclusion in the modern service sector, uh, last year. And I guess the whole point of doing that was to help to highlight some of those core areas where we felt there were gaps in relation to EDI, equality, diversity and inclusion. So, for example, a key area we looked at was research where, you know, we identified that, uh, the people who um, produce research are usually white middle class. The founders of research are white middle class. <laughs> the assessors or uh, what do you call them, uh, evaluators are white middle class. Everybody is white middle class. The people who are affected by research are usually the subjects. You know, so the the involvement in research is by the way, you know, and they don't have a say in what is researched. They don't even have a say in how they are researched. So we identified all of that in relation to research. Another element, of course, is policy, the UK policy sector, where we just feel that currently the sector, um, the, the policymaking uh, process is very uh, hostile, I would say. So actually, to use that common term, a hostile environment, very hostile to, you know, victims and survivors of modern slavery, who we know are either from a black and ethnic minority background or they're from a foreign country. And so we identified how policy has deteriorated in the past 10 years or so, where it's become a lot more difficult for survivors and victims of trafficking uh, to be supported in the right way, to be helped, uh, you know, in different ways. And of course, uh, we looked at some of the um, programs that have been put in place by government, for example, the shelters, NRM and all of that, and how this actually worked against um, survivors of trafficking in many ways. Uh, I mean, it's a very huge document. Uh, we also looked at the role of community organizations and how they've been marginalized by the sector in terms of addressing modern slavery. And we looked at um, how um, the legal aspect of things sometimes do not also work in favor of survivors. So for example, you might find that uh, survivors find it difficult to get legal aid, or when they do get legal aid, the practitioner working with them is uh, not very uh, supportive of them, or uh, might even be racist towards them. 
so many, I mean, it was a very, it was a very big document. So essentially for us at BASNET, the key issue is how do we now improve on all of this? So we came up with a number of recommendations for uh, government in terms of how to strengthen policy. And we came up uh, with recommendations for research. And we actually, funny enough, we pinpointed MSPEC as having a very, very key role to play in terms of being able to take a leading role in the sector to help improve uh, how research is done in the sector, who is involved in research, how research is funded, and so on and so forth. And I'm very pleased, and of course, that MSPEC have now had, um, done their own EDI action plan with some of those recommendations as, as, as at the core of it. So, yeah, very good. Obviously, Black Lives Matter was a, uh, was a moment of reckoning uh, for the sector. I mean, when you talk about the sector being hostile towards the very people that is meant to support uh, and is saying that it's, uh, the sector is saying that it's uh, meant to represent. It's crazy to think that, that, that this is how it's set up. What was the response of the sector, do you think? Uh, and how much has changed two years on? That is a very excellent question. Uh, I think the response was very positive. And I feel that many, especially in the, the charities, I think many of the charities were able to have an introspection to say, okay, what are we not doing right? I know, I know that because some of them uh, contacted Bastet to support them in terms of helping to review how they're uh, performing. And I know that some of them even went ahead to produce their own action plan to help improve. And I can see when I see advertisements for trustees in some charities and they say, oh, we encourage um, um, people from BME backgrounds to apply or we encourage survivors to apply. I'm like, okay, this never used to happen. People never used to say that. So in a way, that is a positive step forward. But I, I think, and, and this is this is definite. I'm not, and I'm not saying it because you're here, but I think MSPEC has really, really played a leading role. The core, the key changes I am seeing are in relation to research and how we do research. And for example, launching a, a call for, um, uh, uh, research and then specifically saying that actually for the first time ever, I think in the whole of this country, we encourage charities to apply as the lead partner. I've never seen that before. And that is a step change forward in relation to how we do research. And I hope that we can have more of it and that other research bodies will, will pick up on that. But certainly, um, MSP has played a leading role. That's definite. And that's not because, you know, uh, I sit on the board or anything. It's definitely because I can actually see those changes happen. And that's good to hear. We are flattered. But yes, we are funders of modern slavery research, so clearly have a big role to play. What are your main recommendations for us as funders of modern slavery research? Well, MSPEC has a, a leading role to play. Um, I mean, one of the one of the key issues I feel should be taken on board, and to be honest with you, I think there's some work already being done is in relation to survival engagement. Survivors have always been marginalized. We've always seen them as recipients of charity or of beneficiaries. And I'm beginning to see agencies like MSPEC actually saying, no, you know, we want to put survivors at the forefront of research. 
so that they can help to inform what we're researching, what we're funding. And there should be more of that done in different areas. So be it survivors in the UK or survivors in other countries, right? Um, community engagement is also very crucial. So I'm looking at survivors and affected communities as demarginalized in terms of research historically and in terms of the way forward, we need different strategies to bring them to the forefront. So for example, uh, helping to launch some form of a program where we can train. You see, a lot of small charities, be they community-based charities or, you know, um, or com- registered companies, because of the work they do, they have a lot of intelligence. I know that because I run a small charity. And, um, and I also realize that actually we're not doing enough to support them to tell their stories. I think MSRO has a, a key role to play in that, to support small organizations, to be able to conduct their own research, to be able to um, publish their own research and disseminate their own research. I think there's a gap there, which we can look into, right? Uh, I think we can also do that with survivors. We can encourage and work with survivors to tell their own stories in their own language, not because some journalists has helped them to write the story in the, in the newspaper, but they themselves publishing their story is a form of research. It's qualitative, right? So, you know, we need to be doing more of that. We need to be encouraging all these different, uh, you know, um, sectors to be able to tell their stories. So, yes, of course, um, it's good that we're encouraging organizations to partner as lead organizations for research. But let's go down to the individual level and let's encourage different parts of the sector that have been silenced so far to be able uh, to tell their stories. So I, I, don't, I, I think it, maybe that's not how MSPEC operates. And that also calls into question the nature of how we work as an organization. So if that's not the usual way, there's no, we need to start thinking outside the box to say, okay, is there any other way we can operate that can actually allow us to uh, empower the marginalized to be at the forefront of research? So we need to start to, to do that uh, uh, as a sector, but MSPEC in particular needs to start to do that as well. It strikes me that what you're saying is, uh, and it's not particularly a new discovery, but what you're saying is that we need to give away some power Absolutely. Empowering other people means that you're giving away some of your power. <laughs> you cannot empower them if you're not giving away some of your own power. So if you're going to, if we're serious about improving equality, diversity and inclusion, we have to know that two things must happen. Firstly, that we're putting a lot of resources to help you capacity and that we're prepared to share power. It's just that simple. We have to learn how to share power with the survivors. So they're no longer recipients, but they're now partners, right? We have to learn how to share power with the affected communities. So they're not subjects of research, but partners in creating research. And it's just that simple. And we have to empower them by helping to build their capacity to be able to tell their own stories, to be able to talk to us about the work that they've been doing in their own way, right? So 
you cannot empower people if you don't do those two things. Right. Um, given that some progress is happening, uh, how do you see things going uh, in the future? Are you being, are you optimistic? I am very optimistic. And I know that because I've been in this sector for 21 years. And this is the first time we're seeing anything like this happen. And uh, a lot of people are gradually coming to the realization that definitely this is a way forward. So I'm seeing a lot more diversity in this sector. I never used to see that. I see more diversity in charities. I see more diversity on the board of different charities. I see more diversity on the, even, even the home office is a bit more diverse <laughs> than it used to be. At least when I go to meetings, I'm like, okay, that's a bit different, right? And of course, I see um, how organizations like MSBEC are really kind of like very, very seriously leading the way. And I know that once you have, once you have the um, uh, leading role, others naturally follow. So definitely others will follow. So the future looks bright in that sense. And I know that some people are still struggling. That's fine. It will take them a bit of time but they would definitely at some point <laughs> join the bandwagon. So essentially, the, the, I think the best thing about all of this is the UK playing a leading role in relation to equality, diversity, and inclusion. You know, if you look at other European countries, there's no other European countries doing this. Uh, America, I've started to talk about it. Uh, Canada and others, big Western countries, nobody's doing this in relation to how do you improve equality, diversity, and inclusion in the modern slavery or human trafficking sector. So the UK has played a leading role yet again in terms of all of this, which I think is a very positive thing. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks to Debbie for taking the time out of her busy schedule to talk to us. If you'd like to know more about Debbie's work on diversity in the sector in the UK BME Anti-Slavery Network, please visit Basnet's website at bmeantislavery.org. That's bmeantislavery, that's one word, dot org. For her wider work protecting children in UK BME communities from abuse and harm, visit afruka.org and follow her on Twitter at Debbie Ariel. Now we'll be back for the second part of the podcast shortly. Welcome to our guest Nikki Kalavidis, Monitoring and Evaluation Manager at the Modern Slavery PEC, who is leading our work on equality, diversity and inclusion. We recently published our strategy and action plan on EDI, in which we set out what we're going to do to try to address the lack of diversity in modern slavery research. Nikki was leading our work on developing our thinking in this area and was the driving force behind the strategy and action plan. So she's the best person to talk us through it. Welcome, Nikki. Hello. Can you tell our listeners why equality, diversity and inclusion is such an important issue for the Modern Slavery Pack? Yeah, thank you for having me on the podcast. So for the Modern Slavery Pack, EDI is really important. Obviously, we are working with lots of different people and um, funding lots of different types of research. And so it's really, really important that this research reflects the community that we're working with. 
We really want to make sure that we are including people with different experiences and backgrounds and expertise and making sure that they have fair access to our opportunities. We do a lot of things at the centre, different things, funding research, hosting events, um, other kinds of activities that we want to make sure we uh, bring in the broadest range of people so that we can learn from um, everybody's different expertise and, and experiences. So here we are in a position as funders of research on modern slavery to do something about it. Please tell us a little bit about the context in which the, our EDI strategy and action plan uh, were being developed. Yeah, so we ran a consultation in 2020 to develop our research priorities. And from that, it became really clear that it was the wider sector as well that were really interested in improving the quality, diversity and inclusion of research. We also had some recommendations made to us by the UK Black Anti-Slavery Network, BASNET. And so we took all of that and put together our own action plan where we set out our four priority aims. The activities that we've done so far to deliver on these aims and also the, the opportunities and activities that we're going to be doing over the next year. I think it was really important for us to publish the strategy and action plan because we wanted to be a kind of clear, we wanted a clear communication of what we were doing to the sector but also to share um, what we were doing to get feedback from people and so that people knew what opportunities there were for them to participate. The strategy we've published um, is relevant for the full kind of set of PEC activities. The action plan focuses on what we're delivering over the next year so that we can really learn from those experiences when we're developing what's happening next. We've also got a really interesting set of opportunities for this year um, that we think will influence what we want to do in the longer term. So we defined four clear separate aims in our strategy and action plan. Let's go through them. Let's list them first. Great. So the first aim is to equitably include individuals and communities with lived experience and those who work closely with them in the monoslavery PECS work. The second is to improve diversity within the monoslavery research community, um, including kind of diverse individuals, communities, organisations with an interest in and affected by monoslavery. The third aim is to undertake research on EDI within the sector, understanding the challenges and making recommendations for improvements. And our final aim relates to our own internal operations and governance across the centre. Great. Shall we kind of dive in one by one into each of them? Uh, let's start with the inclusion of lived experience. Why is it so important? Uh, and what have you done uh, so far already as a centre? Because we've started our uh, work on it already. And uh, what's the plan for the next year or so? Yeah, so at the PEC, we think it's super important um, to make sure that people with lived experience are involved in all the processes and activities that we do. So it's important in and of itself, but it's also important that the laws and policies that we're seeking to influence um, really reflect the experiences of, of people. And we also want to make sure that people have the opportunities to develop and participate in, in the research and other work that we do. So what we've done so far, we have consultants with lived experience who have supported us to develop research scopes and research calls and also to review the applications so they can give their so they've given their feedback on which applications we should fund. We're also funding research projects that involve survivors in, in different ways. So ones that for example where people where survivors are included um, as peer researchers or as part of advisory groups on research. 
we as a staff have undertaken survivor ally training and we've got a research ideas form on our website which allows anyone including people with lived experience to submit ideas for research calls that we might fund where are we in our plans on our recruitment plans especially because uh, we are in the middle of uh, recruiting uh, some posts uh, for people with lived experience of modern slavery Yeah, so some things that we're doing that are coming up. So as you say, we are recruiting for a lived experience manager to come and work um, at the PEC to inform our future work on engaging people with lived experience across the modern slavery PEC's um, agenda. They'll also be involved in setting up the lived experience advisory panel, which we envisage as a, as a group of uh, people with, lived ex with diverse lived experience um, to support us with our work. We're also recruiting for a lived experience coordinator to work on that too. And we want to set up a survivor-engaged organisations working group to advise us as well. So we're really keen to learn from people with lived experience and an experience of working with survivors um, to inform all our future activities. Okay, that's the, that looks like a very exciting times, especially for us uh, working at the PEC. The second aim of the action plan is to improve diversity within the modern slavery research. How is the centre planning to do that? So for each of our research projects, we require that there are non-academic partners um, as a way of bringing in people who traditionally might not have been included in modern slavery research. We've also created a few online resources to enable people to connect better. So we've got a Google group that anyone can join. Um, And we've tried to be as clear as possible to explain the opportunities um, that we as the PEC um, have for different groups to participate. Um, it's worth saying we've recently changed our funding mechanisms to allow for more equitable partnerships between different groups. So now NGOs can lead projects. They can receive up to 50% of the project budget, which was previously only 30%. Um, and we'll be providing appropriate training and support to organizations and people we work with to really participate in um, re in our research uh, very meaningfully. Yeah, it's not a, uh, just an easy and straightforward thing to do to uh, kind of tilt that balance uh, and make the research more inclusive. But one thing that we need to do in the third aim of our action plan is to actually try to understand where we are Uh, as a, as a sector uh, of modern slavery research, in terms of uh, diversity inclusion, so talk us through the uh, the research that we're planning to undertake. Yeah, great. So we've published a funding call um, for improving EDI within modern slavery research. Though we know that there are issues, these have been highlighted through our consultation and and through others from the sector. What we're missing is a really systematic analysis of EDI challenges and opportunities. So that's what we're hoping that this research will do. We've asked for it to focus on legally protected characteristics, but to think that, that consideration would be given to how this correlates with the inclusion of people with lived experience and, and people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different academic disciplines, different career experience. So really understanding the intersectionality of um, different characteristics. 
So we're asking this research to do a kind of systematic review of the evidence on that, also to then identify best practice examples from within publicly funded modern slavery research in the UK, um, so that we can learn from those. We want the project to develop recommendations for funders like us and, and others within the sector who are really seeking to improve EDI within the project. So we were hoping to launch this project um, in August for uh so that it concludes in time to inform our next iteration of this action plan due next spring. Uh, finally, uh, the fourth aim of the of the action plan is talking about ourselves at the Modern Slavery Pack and embedding the EDI practices in internal operations. Please uh, uh, tell us about what what's in the plans. Yeah, so we think it's really important, obviously, if we are promoting. Um, improvements in EDI across the sector we need to be uh, recognized we need to be cognizant of our own structures and processes um, so the fourth aim of the action plan really tries to target this around our internal operations and our governance so we're currently auditing our the diversity of our go- uh, governance groups to understand their diversity um, we as an organization sit in, in Bickle, the British Institute of International Comparative Law, which has its own, um, equality, diversity and inclusion policy, policy that we, um, adhere to. Obviously, through our recruitment processes and other processes that we have, we seek to be as inclusive as possible. So we ensure that job adverts are accessible. We're encouraging applications from underrepresented groups and we, we will ensure the gender and racial diversity of all interview panels using our networks and our governance groups as appropriate. The EDI agenda and strategy and, and action plan is a core part of my role at the PEC. Um, and as monitoring and evaluation manager, we're fully committed to understanding the impact of what we're doing and, and what's working and what isn't working to influence our further work. And as I said before, we will be publishing the next iteration or, or the update to this action plan next spring. Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, the plans are all well and good and they all sound uh, very exciting. Uh, but what can listeners expect in terms of the next steps? When can they hear about the results of, of the of the strategy and of our actions? And uh, what are the next steps for us? Yeah, so I think it's important to say also that if people are interested in the opportunities and want to hear more about them, that they should sign up to our newsletter because that's how we'll be advertising um, and our other social media channels as that's how we'll be advertising um, the opportunities going forward. We will have feedback um, and learning opportunities for all those activities. We're really keen for the sector to engage, so please feel free to send me an email or, or give your or get in contact um, if you have views on these activities or if you want to know more. As I said, we will publish a response, an update to this next spring, but we are doing the learning and the implementation of the learning throughout our work. We will include uh, the contact details for Nikki in the notes for this show, so uh, look out for that. For today, thank you, Nikki, for talking us through the strategy and the action plan, and we're looking forward to hearing more on the results of the uh, research that is looking at the uh, EDI in the sector and on the progress of uh, of the modern slavery pack's work on diversity, inclusion and uh, equality. Thank you very much for today. Thank you. Big thank you to Debbie and to Nikki for their time. You can read our EDI strategy and action plan on our website. Go to modernslaverypack.org and navigate to the resources section. 
Remember to sign up to our regular newsletter and to follow us on social media on Twitter at Slavery Pack and on LinkedIn, where you can just search for the Modern Slavery Pack. That's it for this episode of the Modern Slavery Pack podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversations and I hope that you found them useful. Thank you for listening and we will speak to you on the next one.